Welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. This episode will follow kind of atypical things for the podcast. For those who've been listening from the beginning or haven't, you know, let me recap basically how this podcast generally works. Uh, there's a news recap with me and my brother, and we're pretty goofy guys, but we go over all the latest things going on with Intel, ARM, NVIDIA, AMD, TSMC, Global Foundries, something usually we talk about games a little bit. And then I, the next episode, because I don't think you want just a skeleton podcast, right? You don't want us talking about news recaps every week. There will be weeks where there's nothing to talk about. I interview people in the space. And then usually the third episode is either a history lesson or another interview. So, right, it goes news, funny news recap, interview, um, and then a bonus episode, and then another funny news recap. This episode is said bonus episode, and it actually was fascinating for me. It gets much more technical than the other ones, though, or should I say non-gaming-ish. There's not a whole lot of gaming discussion going on here. But the server market is everything, frankly, right? With Especially with new hyperscaling systems going on. Where you have Amazon literally with millions of cores so they can run just so just um, whole, ideally, right, unlimited transactions. And there are all these one-click buy buttons going on per minute. They want unlimited transactions. They want – they have AWS servers. They want people to have – ultra-secure data that they can't lose, they need it. They need this, and this is where the market is. Gaming is negligible, literally negligible compared to this. So it is important for us to understand what's going on in the server space so that we can guess more accurately at what is coming to gaming. Um, let's do a reader mail question here. Nerd Fencer, and you can if you support me on Patreon, submit reader mail questions, asks, I'd like to hear what you think AMD will be doing in the server SOC space. Xeon D still has a good value proposition versus Epic 3000 based on overall server cost. Hewitt Lake is particular, is able to compete with well for customers that might otherwise look at low-end Epic. What do you think AMD will do to combat this? Well, what it really comes down to is a couple things. Number one, Zen 3 is all about server and some laptop, and it, it, it has the potential to double performance for these types of personnel again, just like Zen 2 is going to. So that should be enough to get you over that tipping point where you're an idiot if you don't pick AMD. There's that. But additionally, it's all about security. AMD could have not prayed for a better godsend to their bottom line than the security problems going on at Intel. And they are quite real. This episode, I speak with a server engineer who remains anonymous, but he does work in the financial sector, and he will tell you firsthand just how bad Spectre, Meltdown, MDS, and Foreshadow really are. These really, really are bad. So let's get to that interview, though. It's really good. Yes, I can. Okay, so I guess let's just get started. We actually had a pretty good talk there in the beginning with Chris and Paul, um, touching on a lot of things that I just threw at the end of what I've written down already. Um, but I don't know how much you want to say about what your job is, right? I guess let's start with that. Um, I uh, I do uh, 
uh, IT work. Uh, I'm doing. I mostly work on. Uh, I'm doing Unix or Linux system engineering. Uh, so I develop all the systems, the infrastructure that goes into building out servers in a financial institution. I've been doing it. Uh, all sorts of uh, Unix and Linux IT work and networking for about 19 years. I've uh, been doing professionally. Personally, I've been doing Linux for 25 years, uh, actually before Windows 95 came out. So uh, yeah, been, been working on servers for a long time. You know, that's, that's my area. And what I would emphasize, at least for my listeners, is this is servers in a financial company. And that's different than any then because it all is about stability and security when money's involved like you cannot have errors or mistakes nothing can crash that's it that is number one wouldn't you say well we also i also worked in uh, healthcare as well where we handled uh, medical uh, records of people yes. <laughs> so it's not just financial i did i did both so i work in some of the most uh data sensitive environments you can think of other than military or governmental yeah and so i guess with that then it's funny you said to me um by the way if you have any questions about the server market or anything going on there i can probably answer them and i clumsily asked a question but you answered all the questions I didn't ask immediately. <laughs> and I immediately knew, oh, no, this is a very good resource to talk to. Well, 20 years. I mean, you've been yeah. doing it for a long time. You know, I mean, you're in the outs. I mean, I've been uh, I've been involved in purchasing decisions up to, you know, probably three quarters of a million dollars. Now, that may not seem like much, but um, and that's not much for a financial institution, but uh in other for smaller medium sized business that's like significant amount and it basically I ran many IT shops um, I was oftentimes the person that did the uh, operations the implementation the development and uh, the planning and the uh, the the purchasing decisions as well at least in the healthcare space and financial spaces you're more siloed so I was mostly focusing on infrastructure development, especially now cloud development. So cloud engineering development. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because you, when we were talking, you mentioned um, TAMS and I'm like, yeah, that's me though. So I'm kind of the <laughs> other side. So I'm used to, now I'm in the automotive industry, but it's, I'm used to talking kind of people like you, except basically convincing them to actually buy our stuff. So <laughs> I suspect there's a lot of, um, hmm, insight into how it works that we could probably understand because I'm kind of just the other side of the coin. Um, and I guess, so I want to dig in though here, cause there's a lot of things you talked about before over, uh, you know, just over like texting. And the first thing is I actually want to start this way. When was the, when do you remember becoming aware of these new security vulnerabilities at Intel? Like that was, I believe, early 2018 right when it all started yeah that was happening. january i mean the the literally the hour came out i i i, mm -hmm. I saw it and when i saw it it was that also my uh my brother who's also working in uh, uh he's a manager of a uh uh telecommunications company in in it mm -hmm. and, as well and he also notified me about this so we kind of looked at we be honest with you both of us were flabbergasted when we saw mm -hmm. the, the the and and Right then, and 
right then and there, I knew that things are different mm-hmm. immediately because this is the tip of the iceberg. This is not, and it's also not a pro, not something you can easily patch. Uh, no, yeah, they may act like it, but no. Generally, with software, you can patch it, and life goes on. Um, and generally, it's it's you never worry about the hardware la- uh, hardware layer in terms of security. Now you do, and you cannot trust your hardware. And so, uh, and then when we see that uh, AMD was not impacted, at least by Meltdown, they were impacted mm-hmm. later on by Spectre. But Spectre, I'm actually less concerned about it because you need physical access to the machine. You actually need, yeah. and you can actually use traditional hardening techniques to uh, mitigate that risk. So it's not a concern. Meltdown is actually a much more scarier uh uh, vulnerability, especially when you're doing any kind of SDI work, SDI environments, such as, which is software-defined infrastructure. Simply put, virtualization. You're basically running multiple so-called servers on one right. big machine, and you do it to conserve energy, conserve space, conserve power, conserve cooling, ease of management. Uh, and so when you can have someone breaking into one VM and then using Meltdown, and, um, Compromise the next one yeah. over. That's very scary. That is a no-no, and and uh, it's uh, it, and it's that, very easy to. Well, I shouldn't say easy to do, but it's doable, right? Getting into <laughs> like you have to be what like someone in Mission Impossible to use some of these other things people have talked about. It but when you time. can just log in, right? That is well, still these things you got to get a tow hold on. You got to get a tow hold on the machine, uh, and and. And that's not that difficult. A, a common attack vector is basically you send a phishing attack yes. <laughs> uh, to a person, which will download code and then install a backdoor, which is typically a VPN. You know, most VPNs are actually using SSH tunnels, or common one is OpenVPN. In fact, uh, a lot of your uh, YouTube channels, when they market these kinds of VPN services, that's basically the underlying technology. It's OpenVPN. Right. And I think a lot of movies, especially <laughs> stupid ones, portray hacking like somehow he just types on his keyboard a ton and breaks through the code and now he's in your computer. It's like hacking always involves some level of of like pulling off kind of a, like almost a mini heist to get something physically from someone. They usually dig through your garbage first or like you said, and I've seen it's this a lot in my own more, company, it's, right? It's They'll send an email saying, hey, you've got new – it'll literally be something weird like uh, your Amazon order is shipping today, and it'll come from Amazon1.com instead of Amazon. And they just hope you don't notice, and then you click that, and it like goes, oh, yeah, and they've it, maybe fishing. started installing stuff. And Well, I mean the thing is – I mean you can uh, – you can uh, – a giveaway is basically you can look at the actual – source code of it and and all emails have source code and you basically can look at it and if you get weird urls and weird domain names weird server names that's a dead giveaway but you know it's a dead giveaway to yeah me or you but someone in my company he's been doing um fake phishing attacks just to see what would happen if someone put one together very easy yeah and he's like he's like 40 percent of you clicked on it 40% 40% of you compromised your machines. He sent that in a company-wide email. <laughs> he was not happy to see that 40% of people just clicked through like three links quickly like it was nothing. Because it's it, people are going through their days and yeah. they're, they're on automatic. And, and 
you know, and this goes to the inherent weakness of humans, uh, mm-hmm. which is that humans are not good with uh, low, uh, uh, low frequency, high prob- high impact events. I mean, look at uh, preparations for natural uh, natural disasters like hurricanes yeah. and um, wildfires and floods and whatnot. It doesn't happen that that often, but it's a high impact. So humans aren't very good at low frequency, high impact events. That's the bottom line, and and you can't work, you you cannot uh, educate your way around that. Mm-hmm. And so what you have to do is you have to design your systems to be inherently secure to protect them. I actually have a lot to add on to that, but I'm going to save it for later just to go back to this. So what I want to know is when Intel, when you found out about um, sector and meltdown, did Intel send you an email ahead of time, or was it literally just on a website that you found out? We found it on 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 the web, you know. Just, yeah. It, uh, it, those does I mean a lot of times it we it's a lot faster we just get on the web, you know. Um, I mean even we have channels internal channels it's still I mean it, it would still take time. Um, actually I was actually uh, more upset with the uh, the register for releasing that information too soon, and basically forced the entire industry to scramble and basically had patches yeah. put out weren't stable in fact uh uh we had uh, i had to uh, back out kernels or kernel updates because they would crash the machines every, at, after 45 minutes <laughs> and you basically put you basically Jeez. put people at risk when you do that you know you, you, I, they were just trying they were basically trying to do show off or something but they, they really put a lot of people at risk and and i'm more upset at the the register than than Intel at this at this point. Yeah, and so I guess, well, there was that scrambling phase, but what I remember too is then a few more came out later last year as well, right? Am the I? The big one was L1TF. Yeah. That's uh, commonly known as foreshadow. Yes. Uh, that was the one that came out in August, and mm-hmm. when I put that in there. Uh, I instantly saw a uh, almost 20% drop in performance in addition to meltdown. That's how right. I got to around almost 30% performance hit. And, that, and that's so at, at this point, I guess, what was the mentality going on about ordering more parts from Intel. I mean, so now there's a third one where you immediately thinking, oh, oh, there's going to probably be a fourth one too, isn't there? Well, I, I knew that from Meltdown. I mean, right away, this is this is the tip of the iceberg. I mean, th- this, I was hoping that it would take longer. It wouldn't take that quickly, but the wrap, it's a pretty much almost like a six month, three to six months um, uh, uh, event. You know, every three, six months, you get something. So, and every three, six months, you're losing performance. Right. Um, and it, would you say, and now Zombie Load just came out, <laughs> which is, again, MDS. yeah, I'm no expert, but it seemed like that one might be the worst. Is that correct? If you take it on its own, it'd probably be no different than Foreshadow. Foreshadow really hit hard. Mm-hmm. Um what happens is that you have a weakened server, and it's basically the camel that broke the cam- uh, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. And basically, that's how you get. That's how we're starting to see 30 to 40 percent. What I'm learning from not only from Red Hat Tams, but uh, which is Linux, 
but also from uh, my fellow professionals in other firms. Uh, we do a, our own meetups uh, and we trade information. And what I'm finding out is that on average, they're getting a 30, 40, 30 to 40% performance hit with hyperthreading turned on. When you right. turn off, that's when you start getting into the 50 to 70% performance hit. And one server, which I'm still finding a little dubious on, is from Red Hat. There was a customer that had a 64 core Intel server. Uh, that's a four four socket server, not yeah. a two socket server, because there is no two, 32 core Intels. Mm-hmm. So it's a four socket server, and that one took an 80% performance hit, which I think it's mm. it's more likely the people there didn't know how to configure their service more than it. Yeah, I'm thinking just, about 80% from hyperthreading. I don't know, but it'd have to be completely overwhelmed, and that's like you're getting into theoretical performance territory when you hear 80%. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's usually it, they they they're not setting up that server right. That's uh, uh, <laughs> and I've seen a lot of that <laughs> in in my career. So, but uh, just to be clear, though, I think people here the way it's portrayed on <laughs> again, most of my viewers are gamers on gaming tech websites is it's like oh, um, for certain use cases these servers get like a 10 to 30 percent performance hit while they're doing certain tasks during the day no 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 they're on no no they're not that's why i join your channels and and uh uh good old gamer and uh, not an apple fan because you're 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 much more critical thinking that's really what impressed me on uh unlike the other channels well, thank you and, <laughs> i agree um <laughs> And and that's why I want to join up and, and kind of put my two cents and let you guys know really what's going on. Uh, the thing that kills performance in the service is it's something called context switching. It's basically how the CPU switches tasks. And uh, okay, I can see why this would. All right. And it gives the user an appearance of multitasking. So in a gaming machine or a desktop, you're not. You yeah. Don't much you're tasking. not. And games, you generally want to shut everything down. You want to run just one game. So you're not really doing multitask. You're not doing a lot of tasks. Mm-hmm. So so the performance impact for normal people, mm-hmm. almost negligible. You're probably not even going to – you're not going to even notice it. I, I've noticed some. I'm pretty sensitive, though, in some games like Battlefield Five. Again, so this is not most games. My single-player games, no, nah, my quad-core i7 is still doing fine. But like in Battlefield Five, it was noticeable because this is a 64-player game where you have people all over the world, and then they have you know bullet velocity, bullet drop. They have buildings that can crumble. So this is, there's a lot. I don't know yeah, yeah. about that. But what I'm saying that is there's a lot week. more going on here with this one. And so I've noticed in some of my complex multiplayer games, especially ones who in the background might be running an anti-cheat system and other stuff, it is it is becoming noticeable in some of my games. There would be a 10% performance hit. It seems to have gotten a little better after a few recent updates, but and again, if I have anything That's else open, patching. right? They're trying to improve the patch performance. Yeah. And and if I open up anything at the same time, though, the performance hit is quite real. Again, doing any one task at a time, yeah. My, my, my i7, frankly, hasn't slowed down at all. But there yeah. are certain times where I'm like, I thought I used to be able to do this twice as fast. Well, it's called uh, context switching. And, and it's also why Linux is the primary server in the world today. It's because of that, con- it's because of that context switching performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an order of magnitude of, hundred, of tens of times, if not hundred times, 
faster than Windows when it comes to it. And that's why we use Linux and not Windows. That's why 60% of the world, uh, in terms of servers, use Linux. I mean, again, relating this to gamers, right? Uh, For those who remember, I think Hardware Unboxed even did this. Uh, He ran the 32-core Threadripper, and he could get a doubling of performance in some professional applications by using the Linux version instead of the Windows. Yeah, it's it's context switching. And what's happening is that the context switching performance, because of all the clearing of the buffers that you have to do, is about five to eight times slower. So it's 500 to 800%, 500 to 900% slower is what we're seeing. And that's how you get your mm-hmm. performance hits. Uh, the lower the server load, the less of an impact you see. The higher the server load you see, you put on, the greater the impact. And I'm glad you said that because that's the next thing I was going to bring up. I can even be honest about myself, the way I thought of servers, right? It's hard to conceptualize how much processing um, needs to be done in the world because you see these servers that are just endless rows, seemingly, of these mega computers with you know thousands of cores total. I mean, I'm sure some some of them can get up to millions. Can no, get... 600,000 boxes. Okay, so each box has more than, right? Yeah, you're probably talking about, like, the average is about 12 to 16 cores per server. In Amazon land, yeah. Yeah, so, so right, if you add up how many cores are in each box, millions. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to conceptualize millions of cores getting bogged down from anything. But the truth is, there is a a reason. It's not just because Amazon has lots of money, although they do. The reason this is a problem is because they they made their server that big because it's actually running at 100%, guys. It's not like these security vulnerabilities are just causing some kind of, you know, oh, the server feels he- heavy loads during evening because that's when people are shopping it's like no no it's often at full capacity that's why amazon wants to build make it even bigger and so this 60 percent performance hit is very real and it's not just like once a day no that's permanent yeah and it's all the time and that actually also leads me to you said that one of the main reason Intel has capacity problems right now is it yes. seemed very much so cheaper to just double the size of the server to make up yes. for that performance loss than it would to, I don't Switching know, do something else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the reason is it it's counterintuitive to consumers, but uh, as an <laughs> yeah. enterprise... To a lot of people, yeah. Uh, yeah, as an enterprise uh, uh, person, it actually is the right way to do it because... Your biggest risk is downtime. Uh, that's your biggest cost. It's not the cost of the machine it's a, or the license cost or whatever. It's the uh, it's your downtime because that is what will create a reputational impact onto the firm and can potentially bring down the firm. So yeah, you don't have time to worry about doing something else. Here's what you know: you know you've just got a performance hit. You know it's going to affect your customers. You know you could order more parts and make it bigger right away. Yes, and that's the and that's the right way to do it. And once you have, once you put out that fire, so to speak, mm-hmm. and you correct at least that issue, you can kind of now do a post-warm and figure out where you want to go. And then you can think about Epic, but you don't think about Epic right now. You won't even think about Epic until the third or fourth revision, not even the second. Um, and the reason is that it takes time to validate your applications, every aspect of it. I mean, even I'm going through validation in my own personal 
servers. Uh, and I even noticed that uh, the uh, the Zen architecture is not quite there in terms of reliable in terms of stability and optimization. Um, there's a lot of mm. things that needs to happen, and uh, and that takes time. It, it, and in the enterprise world, things take years, and for good reason. You got to do a burn in. The only way you're going to do burn in is actually to run it. So that's why the uptake is very slow. I don't anticipate any kind of major change in the enterprise space for another five to seven years, knowing the enterprise cycles. It's it's not. Yeah, and I, when it comes to stability testing, I think some people think, again, most of these people are gamers who are probably listening. They'll go, oh, I ran it for eight hours straight and it didn't crash, so that's good. Well, it might be good for you, but for instance, I actually have mining Three servers. Years. Yeah, in my house. Three years. And there have been um, stability, so I overclock and modify the BIOS on my cards to make more money. And I noticed that there was some stability. I mean, it would take a month. A month of mining to realize it wasn't quite 24-7 stable. Now it's been a year it hasn't crashed. It's probably completely stable. But that's how much testing it takes for me. And remember, I can just reflip a switch. I don't really care that much if the mining rig crashes. You, I mean, there cannot, again, right, this is financial or before um, with people's healthcare records, probably even more sensitive in terms of like if you screwed something up there. That's for security, privacy, and uptime. Yeah, and and I'll give you a, a, a little uh, t- a little case in point. We had to do a server migration where we are doing updates to the software, not to the server itself, but to, to the software. And we had to do a migration. It basically requires a uh, uh, where we have to dump the database, you know, where it's migrate database. Um, one of the things we did in our application in our infrastructure is that if we ever have to, we can always get the the application up on a moment's notice because mm-hmm. we're dealing with medical data some of it actually needs in real time so we so we did put that in there and one day on one night when we're doing that work we i got a call from my boss said hey we got a guy on an operating table in an emergency room um, to yeah. get access to the application we were in the middle of the migration normally we have to shut it down and and, and do what we got to do well we had to stop the migration and get the application up so that they can ac- so they can get access to the data to save the guy's life. Mm-hmm. Okay, you guys are thinking about you know going <laughs> over with your little GPUs or CPUs. You're talking about someone's loved one right there. Someone's loved one. This this is no joke. Seriously. Yeah. And, um, and, and we waited 45 at least. Uh, we waited about 45 minutes. And thankfully, the patient lived. Uh, and then, but unfortunately, it caused like a three-hour delay in our migration. So worth it. it but <laughs> it's yeah. part and parcel. It's what you do. Yeah. But that's that's the the that's the stake that's involved when you do enterprise IT. The the margin of safety is so razor thin. You. That's why enterprises are very conservative. That's why they don't go and switch over to an epic because it's cheaper that's meaningless because the risk is downtime or not having your yeah that's your something i've thought about involved. too or worse right. having data corruption you know what if you you know let's say that that patient and you have corrupted data and that person gets the wrong medicine yeah um what i i think again that's something people think 
And that's something I've seen talked about before, but again, not enough on the gaming channels who are like, well, oh, AMD is going to take all the market share instantly. It's like, well, they could take a lot eventually. But what you have to think about is when you see that, and I, I've seen so many gamers post like Xeon prices next to Epic prices and just laugh like, ha, ha, ha. But it's like, well, that's actually not that much of a cost as you would think compared to everything else going on in the background. Human, the, the, the labor cost is the most expensive part. Now, I mean, you have software licenses that are in the $50,000 a year per socket. Yeah. So, I mean, getting that one CPU, it's just, it, it matters uh, to a certain extent. But what I've, what I've said is the, the way AMD will need to beat Intel is they literally need to make it so that it's more expensive for them to... It, it, like that Intel could give away their stuff for free and it would still make more sense to get AMD. That's pretty much how much of an uphill battle it is. The security vulnerabilities, again, that's this is the type of thing where I really think uh, people need to... I think, for instance, it's not just like gamers, it's financial analysts, I think are massively missing some of the story here when they see Intel has capacity problems. They're like, well, it doesn't matter. AMD might be no, resurgent. No, no, no. The, the reason they have capacity problems is because all the enterprises are buying the servers. Yeah. That's why you, that's why you saw it. Yeah, and they're buying the it, servers because they have volume. to. They basically beef up your machines by 50%. Yeah, well, a lot of people just think, and I, I remember I thought this a little bit, is, well, AMD is making better products, so now Intel's finally upgrading their product line, and now that Intel's upgraded, everyone's oh, no, upgrading. No, 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 it takes, no, no. Yeah, no. that's what people, just so you know, that's what a lot of financial analysts are saying is going on. And when you said that to me in the message, really I'm like, see. those financial analysts after, no. what, <laughs> No, <laughs> I know, and that's. That's the one with the. Uh, with the uh, dot-com bubble, you're, you're really going to believe that? You're talking to someone who's like been kind of involved in Bitcoin for five years. I don't have a very high opinion of a lot of them. <laughs> so I agree. Um, and it's just, I, I, but other people listen to them. And it honestly blows my mind. Like, that's what, when you sent me that message, that was the part that I really latched onto immediately where you're like, they are buying more servers because they have no choice. They've lost capacity. They need to bring it back up. And that's common sense when you hear it, but no one else is talking about that, which is odd to me. But all of these other, I just, I, anyone who is, ah, this isn't financial advice. I can't advertise it as that, but I just don't forget that everyone, that that's why Intel's at just so capacity constrained because people have to upgrade not necessarily because they want to no one's happy this has happened and that they're upgrading now you're you're saying that to say the least be honest with you yeah, i'm personally i'm pissed too but uh, my team we deal with 150,000 machines now of which 75,000 are linux mm -hmm. and that at the moment, it's there's nothing AMD. Well, there are things AMD can probably do, but it's not so much that AMD needs to do something so much that it's just going to take time to consider switching. But that you, am I correct? I don't. Mm, I, I I'm not going to agree with that okay. because in enterprises, it's all about reduction of risk, minimizing risk. And what is the least costliest way to minimize risk? Uh, if you take all these intels. Machines. Basically, what you do is you increase capacity and you seal them off from the world. You do that, you've already at least mitigated those risks without having to go through the validations of throwing an Epic machine. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what enterprises are, are generally going to do. Um, where AMD is going to really stake their claim is going to be in the uh, hyperscalers and the uh, uh, horizontal applications, the, the web, the, uh, all the uh, new web applications are going to be coming out in the future, uh, all the cloud stuff, uh, where you're having shared tendencies, where you have multiple organizations sharing a server, and you better, have, you better be sure that that server is going to be secure. It, it's incumbent on the hypervisor, uh, the hypercloud. Uh, space, the uh, AWS, the GCP, the Azure, and there's others, uh, and the smaller providers. I think this one I know of is Pack, uh, um, Packet. Um, yeah. Packet, um, where you can do bare metal. You need to, as a user of these services, you got to make sure that they're secure. Uh, and those and those cloud providers, they have to make sure it's secure. Otherwise, they have no business. You right. Secure, you got no business. And this is something I've heard a couple of smart people talk about, which and, is that, well, go on. I'm sorry. And you also, and the fact that a lot of these customers are legally bound federally to maintain certain minimum level of security. Mm -hmm. And so, otherwise, they get fined. I mean, look at Equifax. Look at Equifax. <laughs> and, and how that happens, probably a fish attack, a simple fish attack. Yeah, it wasn't Angelina Jolie typing on a keyboard and breaking through no, a firewall. No, no, no. It, it's it's no. Uh, a lot of times you need to get you need to have a tunnel to get in. You need to establish a tunnel inside going outbound. So in in financial institutions, our outbound access is regulated, and mm -hmm. I do the same thing even in my own personal server. I I don't even allow my own servers going outbound. It's the only way to protect it. But this is something some people have brought up that I thought was pretty smart, which is what you have to understand is, like you said, it's these hyperscalers, it's these giant new data centers. Yes. That's where AMD can take market share. And well, they're creating the new market for it. That's the exactly. And this market's growing so fast that, uh, see, because so many people go, there's no way. And it'll be, some of them will be people who work at Intel who I believe are just telling themselves this to feel better. They'll say, there's no way we're going to lose these. 20-year relationships, and they tell investors, we're not losing anything. I, I don't think the rank and files are, are, are saying that. I think maybe some of the up-the-up -up executives are thinking about that, but yeah. I, I don't think the rank and files are. I, I think they're just, I, I just, they want to produce, do the well, best. Well, Intel's management seems pretty out of it. Like, they were just clearly, it's clearly it's, I mean, you can almost tell. I mean, you know, the, the behavior they've exhibit since Epic came out is, it actually kind of surprised me because typically if you're an you service enterprise, you tend not to act like that. You, you tend not to scramble. That's not a good sign that <laughs> like you're not prepared. But part of the reason is that when, when Intel, why Intel stagnate is that, is that they're servicing their customers that want, uh, that have predominantly vertical applications. In other words, applications mm -hmm. that are written serially one after another, after another. So they pr uh, prioritize faster single core performance over lots of threads. And another thing is that enterprise, this is something that your tech channel uh, audience may not, uh, may not appreciate, but enterprise likes stagnation because it's a lot less, it's just one less risk to deal with. Staying stagnant, things stay the same. You can then plan out all your life cycles. 
very easy. Yeah. Yeah, they so like they, they, they got right into Intel's, you know, whatever it was, like 5% improvement per year thing that and they were just doing. They loved I'll it. I'll tell you one thing. I, I know it's hard for the consumers to understand and relate to it, but I, I tell you, as an enterprise guy, uh, you know, when that stagnation occur, I actually like that because it it makes my planning oh, so much easier. It makes mm-hmm. the planning of all of our infrastructure we know what life cycle. We know how much we're going to get. It just makes all the math so much easier. And, yeah, what I was going to say, too, is and for AMD to take market share, what it would be is they're just creating – the market's growing so quickly that they they might just take all of the new stuff. So Intel might keep what they have. To, yeah, and that's the only way they're going to be able to do it. They're not going to be able to take the vertical markets because the applications are really geared for Intel in terms of their architecture in terms of the fact that they are single core. But you got to remember, that's all the old stuff, okay? Eventually, we're going to end, what's going to happen is that in the future, and I keep my tabs in the market, is that we're going to actually, given the financial straight of the world today, we, we're going to end up, we're going to have a, a stagflation combined, combined with a currency crisis. That's going to send energy costs through the roof. That's also going to reduce the purchasing power of all the customers and businesses. It's it's a long discussion. We'll probably do it as another podcast. Uh, I was going to say, so if you want to save it for another one, we can. I mean, yeah, I'm writing an article on Bitcoin. And I, I don't talk about it on my channel ever just because people tear out yeah. their hair and throw poop at me if I bring yeah. up Bitcoin. Uh, more precious metals. But that's, okay. I mean, you know, they each have their place. I suspect it would be a very good discussion, though. It's just when people see you bring up Bitcoin, they just freak out without even yeah. knowing what you're talking yeah. about because they assume. It's nothing to do with Bitcoin. It's, it's, it's like, why do people glom on to uh, either Chevy or Ford or uh, Red Sox or Yankees or um, NVIDIA or AMD or Intel? You know, why they glom on? It's just they, sense, it's their, they, they take it as their sense of identity. Yeah, it it's well. The thing is that keeping an open mind takes a lot of work. Takes a lot. Of it does. Effort. It's not easy. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's 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 a lot. It's it takes a lot of mental effort, and and you know, and that's the reality of it. Yeah. So they'll just get mad when they see a mining rig, and they'll go, "You're causing my cards to go up in price." And it's like you do understand that, like, if you ask me. I don't think graphics cards have gotten much stronger since 2013. Faster. I mean, they have, but it's been like, is there actually any game you can play now that is really, like, I think we've basically doubled performance since then, maybe a little more. But that's like a long time to take to double performance. Is there any game or resolution now we can play and you couldn't before? Not really. You just turn down some settings. You could probably use some of those older cards, and a lot of people still do. I mean, if you want prices to stop going up, if everyone just didn't buy Navi or Turing just for just yeah. yeah just half a year, prices get cut in half overnight. Like by That's way, all it would take. By the way, w- what I look for before I do an upgrade is I look for a 400% increase. If yeah. I don't get it, I don't buy it. The only time I replace stuff if it breaks pretty right. much it used to be i wanted over twice the performance ideally three that's just not really in the cards anymore but my first my, i went from a 486 dx33 as my first server to a xeon l5520 eight core 16 thread server with 32 gigs of ram mm-hmm. that's a jump 
Well, and you know, people just want to see a bigger number, and that's what's uh, that's what Nvidia's discovered is that if they if you show them a bigger number, they will become all happy and stuff. And again, it, it doesn't identity. need to be yeah, it doesn't need to be that much bigger <laughs> of a number. It turns out, and it's like it used to be that. I mean, again, right? If you went from like I did, like a six nine fifty to they look into a single dimension. Yeah, it was like, oh, now it's not just that now I can run this game at a higher frame rate. I can like double the resolution, up the settings, double the frame rate at the same time. It was crazy. And now it turns out people will be happy if they just go from 60 to 70 frames, even though their monitor runs at 60. Uh, and it's okay. I mean, if that's sure, I guess it's fun to buy new stuff. And it is, to be clear, it is fun to buy new stuff. It's just, I think, I don't know. But I think let's move on to that because you did bring that up earlier today. Is Thank NVIDIA. Yeah, back to NVIDIA Quadros and what you're testing right now, what you found testing some of NVIDIA's new stuff. I thought that was a pretty interesting conversation. Yeah, we're, 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 I'm looking at the GPU compute capabilities, um, and so I bought a Quadro. Uh, um, you know, I was looking at uh, NVIDIA's um, mostly because I was thinking, okay, I see uh, uh, performance uh, efficiency was better than AMD. So, so But I was going to buy AMD professional both of them are professional graphics cards the wx uh um 8000 series um and mm-hmm. seven seventy one hundred i'm sorry seventy one hundred and um because i want to make because i want to get as close to the professional to the server line as possible because you got because in the server lines you start getting you have features like the ability to do power deterministic or performance deterministic modes you have the ability to do uh virtual you can carve out your virtual uh, your GPU into a virtual uh, GPU so you can have multiple applications running it and then controlling access to the GPU and controlling security and so uh, and security is everything you know no, no security you, you can't do it so and remember I'm doing it in the shared tenancy now if you're doing a single uh, single monolithic s- system uh, that's a different story and in that case Nvidia is actually uh, uh, winning uh, does much better. And that's why I see you see more Nvidia's Teslas in data centers than so much than AMD. Uh, but what I found out is when you try to impose some sort of security controls mm-hmm. on an Nvidia card, especially at first trying to use pass through, uh, that uh, that the card actually becomes unstable. The driver is actually less stable. And I've actually managed to crash a Ryzen 2700, which I use as a, currently using as a test bed. Uh, while trying to do a test burn and uh, the driver crashed and the only way to get the card back was to reset the machine and uh, when you see that as a server guy that's a that's a no-go and then on and then on top of that you have to think about okay you're writing applications on a platform uh what is the viability of that platform 20 years from now you know your gamers are thinking only like the next year yeah if that it seems yeah when you're doing, when you're writing applications, you're writing your own, or you're hiring people, uh, you want that labor to last. You want that work to last. You don't want the rug pulled out from underneath it. You don't want to write a CUDA application, and then all of a sudden, you know, 12 years into it, all of a sudden, uh, something happened to NVIDIA. Well, now you got to rewrite your application. What happens to your competitive advantage? You know, uh, applications like this they mm. can last 20, 25 years. That's a lifespan. So 
Yeah, I, so to I be honest, I'm still flat. surprised CUDA's around in such a big way. I thought by now, because I mean, no one, everyone wants open standards and choice, and but it's still there, I guess. No, uh, because Nvidia had a better performance, and 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 when you're in the HP, mm. especially in the HPC space, performance is everything because because the cost is really in the power. I mean, those systems are hundred over a hundred thousand dollars in power a month. Yeah. So if you can get better, 20% better performance, that's going to save you 20% power. Right, which and I don't want to necessarily go back to this conversation, but that's what I talk about when they're building new, you know, new hyperscaler like systems. And it's like, well, it's going to take when people go, well, look at Epic, it's 20% more efficient or 10% more efficient. It's like they need to get it. I mean, look, energy is money. So either way, but when AMD will start really taking a lot of the new contracts is when they can literally make the argument, which I think they're not quite to, but they will soon be able to make that. Zen three or four. Yeah, you're going to, to lose. Is... You'll lose money even if Intel gives these away for free because of how much less efficient. Oh they are. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's sure. the like, argument that take, will take market share. Yeah, it, it, I mean, you look at the Cascades uh, advanced processor. Oh. You know, fifty-six cores, hundred and twelve threads at four hundred. Glued together. Apps. <laughs> yeah, they like to say. I mean, the second I saw 400 watts, I that was. Is, I, I honestly, yeah. I when I saw 400 watts, I was just like, is 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 there is someone actually going to buy that? I mean, yeah, it's it's idiotic. It, it's completely dumb. I mean, I think it's just Not there mention, so they can you say it. Right? You have you have so much heat coming out of such a small space. I mean, I mean the cost, the equipment to, necessary to cool that thing is going to be astronomical. You're probably not going to even be able to air cool that thing. No, what I read is, I forgot which company it was, they said they had to add a full loop liquid cooling system for the entire server, and they were weighing the cost of doing that and getting the 56 cores. And I'm like, what? Are you nuts? Yeah, yeah. But here's the other thing is that then now you got liquid cooling running through it. What happened if the pipes leaks? Yeah, well, and again, we're not talking about one gaming rig where you can triple check the pipes you're gonna have to triple check how many pipes million like how many of these little tubes are you going to have to double check and yeah. how will you know how will you know one of them won't and that's what they're talking about is adding new space for a liquid cooling and mega radiator no. room no no completely idiotic i mean i agree <laughs> but i i guess I, I will say that i that is and i i that's what i've kind of been saying is I mean, that was one of my first videos. The first one that got any amount of views was reality will catch up with Intel. And my point was, it's not like you can be just as good or 20% better, right? Like, let's say Ryzen 1000 was this much, a little better. That's not enough. And then you make something twice as good. I know you think it might be enough if you're a gamer, but being twice as good as the competition actually isn't enough. It's going to take Zen 3 for yes. reality to really catch up with Intel. Because yeah. that's where... That's well, where I'm intending to switch, around Zen 3 or 4. Yeah, and that's when – and this is the important thing. It's it's two things. It's You have to be more than twice as good, number one. Number two, people need to understand this isn't a fluke. I think a lot of people saw Ryzen 1000 and go, oh, well, AMD pulled a rabbit out of a hat. Let's see how Intel responds. And then Intel's response was almost nothing. And AMD then comes out with Zen 2, and you go, oh, wow, they did it again. But I still, still people are going to go, oh, well, they did it twice. Intel's really going to have to fight back. It's going to take Zen 3. It's going to take that third 
time of AMD just doubling performance effectively again. you have to again. go through several cycles. We have to see what the product is going to do over at least three cycles. So we can create plannings. And, and remember, these plans, you know, you know, for me personally, just my own server plans, it's planning for the next 15 years. Because and migration cost is so costly in terms of my time and labor and, uh, and just the disruption too. And right, and people need to be sure if they switch to Zen that they're not they're, you're not switching to Zen two. You're switching to the next ten years of Zen effectively, yes. and yes. you need to be confident that Absolutely. one the, the first series, the second series weren't just oh it wasn't just a one two punch. You want a fury of punches over the next ten years, so you made the right decision. It's you can't just and it's hard for a lot of people to get that. Well, the thing is that, again, it comes down to the labor cost and validation. I am doing, I have a Ryzen 27, I'm validating, I'm trying to validate all the applications. Because the thing is that, is that Intel's probably not going to get their act together in terms of their servers, server chips for at least 10 years. So I'm looking at a 10 year gap. On top of that, personally, I took a f almost 40% hit on my server. I mean, I've lost so much of my capabilities. I'm actually pressing a 2700 into service as a temporary <laughs> server just to run non-critical applications. Uh, and by the way, for, for all you people that like to send clock speeds up the yin-yang, uh, in server land, we like to keep our clocks low. We like efficiency. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I underclock my 2700 down to 1.7 gigahertz, and I don't use boosting. So it's locked down at one. So it stays from 1.3 to 1.7 and goes no higher. And I get the power down to around 45 watts, mm -hmm. uh, full tilt. And sad thing is that machine is actually 5% faster than my 1.8 Xeon, gigahertz Xeon. That costs $10,000. Yeah, I know. And, and <laughs> that's a cheap server, by the way. That's actually a server that's about half of what it should be for a data center. The average and then, is about $20,000, $25,000. And so you can see it's almost there. It's almost to the point where it's cheaper, even if Intel gave you the CPUs for free. But it's just until that happens, it's just not worth it. Um, and again, no. yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing Intel's doing right now. That again, and I, uh, it's not going to fool people like you. You actually use these things and know what you need. But I again, I think it's fooling a lot of financial analysts when they look at Epic and then they look at. They're looking Intel. at two years. They're looking at two-year horizons. This, this is well, not. Well, and year. they're looking at the boost clocks. Like when you see those boost clocks on the Xeons, and they're like the base clocks a little lower nowadays than Epic, but then the boost clock is like ten. You know, like they'll have that fifty-six core, and they'll go, "Oh, boost to four gigahertz or something." And it's like, yeah, it's never going to be running at four gigahertz, though. So, are you kidding you can't me? Cool it. Like this ridiculous. No, but analysts see that. Clock. They I never look at boost clock. That means nothing to me. I know, and but that's not what analysts always look like. And and by the way, I do think there's something to be said, even for gamers. Just so you know, you look at the 9900K. I know it has a five gigahertz boost clock, but its base clock's 3.6. I mean, that's the same as Zen 2. And if you are playing a game for two hours straight, I can assure you, it might start going lower than you think it is when you're overclocking, because it, eventually it will saturate with heat depending on the system. And if you watch it, it's not... your chip. Yeah, and especially if you're not overclocking it, and most people don't actually overclock it. So it 
will just start going down to about the same performance as these cheaper, more efficient AMD ones. I know it went to 5 gigahertz for 10 seconds, but uh, I guess it's sometimes useful to boost on laptops if you're doing a, like, 10-second encoding task quickly. But that's about it. That's about it. Uh, the... I, I generally don't like to boost my machines um, because uh, Me neither. it costs more power. And in fact, to give you an idea, the uh, all the security vulnerabilities, my server used to run at 233 watts, full tilt, maximum mm -hmm. performance. Uh, when you tack on all, because you're because now you're taking clock speeds and clearing the buffers to to protect the the data. Uh, you're now consuming about 267 watts. And my data centers, uh, basically they charge on a per amp basis. So if I go over 240 watts, they charge an extra $15. And unfortunately the service over 240 watts, which means I pay an extra 200, uh, extra $180 a year for that server to power it up for a server that now can only operate up to 50, about a little over 50 VMs at a, when at its height, it was able to run up to a, almost 140. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess one thing to go back to then. So with NVIDIA versus, right, uh, not Radeon, but uh, professional AMD graphics cards, I guess we've, how do you see that market? Like you said that you... You, do you think AMD has any advantages with their more open standard? Or I guess I'm trying to think Long of the term, question. Long term, yes. That. Long term. Okay. And um, I actually, uh, um, I mean, when I work with both the NVIDIA cards and the AMD cards, um, I, I found I had more issues with the NVIDIA cards. Um, and contrast to the AMD cards, even though it's less energy efficient in terms of actually working with the card and actually tuning it it was much nicer it was uh it was i sh uh i struggle a lot more with the nvidia card the, the amd just slide right in probably 15 minutes i was up and running yeah and i think that's something that will surprise other people too because it's it's a much the drives are better yeah and everyone keeps saying well nvidia's drivers i'm like no 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 even at the professional level they're not i don't no. know and i don't know why they should be better they're they're and more money um, I, I switched, um, my very first card was NVIDIA for gaming and I switched to AMD because I was tired of it crashing and it was always crashing all the time. I went on NVIDIA's forums. Everyone else was too. So again, it's true. I really think there's some ridiculous tribalism and fanboyism going on where if you're on deep, deep, deep in an NVIDIA forum, everyone admits their cards crash all the time. The second you go to a more open forum, though, oh, no, I never have any problems. And I just don't I don't know. really care to me. It's, it's just a means to end. Yeah, it's I just don't know how people it's, you're not helping yourself <laughs> when you ignore stuff like that. And I remember the Titan Volta, especially. I thought that was a very hilarious example because the entire argument for Titan Volta, this cut down, you know, V100 card. They said, no, this is not for gamers. This is a $3,000 AI research card. And there was a pretty big scandal with many startups, you know, like, so it, it, with its tensor cores, it was able to run certain workflows at about like 110 teraflops, something ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, that's the equivalent of like five cards. And they found that they had to underclock it, they said, 
rely you, you got to trust the results 100 percent. there's no uh, if ands or buts and if if you try to uh deceive which results in data corruption where you're talking people's lives at stake that's that i mean we'll sue you out of existence with that yeah and and just so people are just to be clear what happened was they were they're having like a t- literally 10% error rate in some of their yes. – we had to underclock it so much that it would have been cheaper to probably just get like a Vega or even a Pascal card for running these workflows. Like – and that – and NVIDIA, you know, as usual, did the best they could to kind of hide that. But no, no, no. Titan Volta well, I, was I a game card. I remember when Volta came out, it was very, very good at mining as well. But it had <laughs> – it had about a 10% error rate. And so people were like, well, yeah. So here's a problem, though, if you use this for mining. Uh, if it gets an error, you're not getting paid for the work you just did. So, I mean, this and, – and I've noticed that in a lot of NVIDIA's architectures. I really think they are cutting corners to get a higher number. They're very good at getting one number. You tell NVIDIA it's, you get the highest number of this. And they'll go, okay, we'll do that. We'll make it more efficient than AMD. But the, they always seem to have these corners they cut that they hope you don't notice. I mean, Techia City just did an analysis where he zoomed in on like 4K screenshots with an AMD and an NVIDIA graphics card. And he found, indeed, the NVIDIA card was blurring multiple parts of the screen in the corners, on license plates, on cars. It looks less clear. And you can't easily notice it while you're gaming. But I have noticed that. I have an NVIDIA laptop. I don't care because, you know, I don't use this for heavy gaming. This is I wanted a 25 watt laptop, you know, something that's incredibly portable. But if I want to play the Division two on the go, I can. So I don't care if it doesn't look amazing. But on my expensive. I can't relate to your gaming. (laughs) I'm not so sure. But no. But what I'm saying is if I'm on my desktop that costs. I mean, it's for editing, but, you know, it costs over $2,000 by now, I think, total, if I think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I want what I'm looking at to look perfect, and I can't imagine. I just I just don't get it. I, like, is it really worth paying all of this money for these more expensive cards that no. are nerfing your screen? They're ner- they are nerfing the, the image quality, and you're just getting a higher number, and that higher number is higher than your refresh rate. You're getting nothing out of this. But NVIDIA is very good at getting that number. <laughs> it's just don't notice all the corners they cut the got to get there. And it's so weird that that also applies to Volta. And that also seems to apply to a lot of their other stuff as well. I, I would hope it's not intentional. I don't think it is. But is it really possible that literally every big gaming benchmark channel on YouTube hasn't noticed that it looks worse? Because Google noticed, and that's why they went with AMD. So if they noticed, just by doing a blind study within their offices, you guys are supposed to be tech, quote-unquote, experts benchmarking gaming cards. None of you are noticing. I notice. And so eventually I do want to test that in depth. But I, I just think that's completely... It's very weird more people aren't talking about the corner cutting. Just again, is what I'm saying. Well... You know, I mean, I, I bought both cards because I want to test it for myself. So uh, and, and that's I didn't know about that part, but uh, I, I can already tell what a train eye that there's stability issues with the with the um, NVIDIA graphics. I've had uh, numerous occasions where the NVIDIA card just fell off the PCI bus. No, as in falling off the bus. I mean, it's basically the driver lost contact with the, oh. with the card and it basically 
you can't re you cannot reset the card without resetting the, the machine. Yeah. And if you've got 50, 60 VMs on that 2700, uh, you got to restart all of that <laughs> at the same time. And that's to to restart. Give you an idea. Restarting a, a server is not like restarting a desktop or a laptop. It it takes time. You just press the reset button. Come on. <laughs> No, no, no. You got to make sure everything is down and and before you bounce, and then when you bring the server up, it uh, you have to validate everything. That's what takes the time. And to restart a my servers, it takes anywhere from an hour to three hours to restart a machine. Yeah, I, so it's I, really. I don't know how much more I have to add to that. It's just I think it's weird people don't talk about those problems more often because for me that's a showstopper. It's like just. Well, it is yeah. a showstopper, literally, and it's. I don't understand how people can just become so tunnel vision for like a twenty percent higher number when it's like, well, yeah, but don't you want this thing to just never crash while you're playing a game? I don't like. Isn't that more important to you? I, I, it is for me because they're seeking validation from other outside people. They they don't have any sense of of accomplishment or pride in themselves. They don't. They they know deep down they're they're really inadequate, so they're just trying to compensate. Well, and they're not actually using it to play games. They're using it to get a big number, put it on a forum. And you know this is true because of the fact that 3D Mark even exists. Like the, really? the, it's, <laughs> in my I opinion. <laughs> well, I don't go on forums, I'm sorry. No, no, no. But I mean, 3D Mark is a benchmarking application and it costs $20 and it looks really cool and it uses your graphics card to benchmark. And I'm like, so you paid $20 for a game you can't play. Literally, you paid $20 just so you could show other people oh your number. So effectively, all they're doing is just drag racing computers and graphics cards. Yeah, yeah. Like I would, and that's why I always laugh oh when I see goodness. when I see 3D Mark in a gaming. I'm like, 3D Mark isn't a game. Why are you showing me the results? I don't care what you're doing. This is not a real application. You only test. I want you to run Handbrake on a CPU. I want you to run, you know, I, I, like actual applications I'm using for content creation i and then i see a 3d mark benchmark and i'm like that's not even a game your bench that's not a game guys <laughs> maybe use it for stability testing could be good at that but outside of that the, no one should care who has a big 3d mark score because no one gets anything out of 3d mark that tells you the and so the and that's what i'm saying the fact that that company can sell that a game you can't play for twenty dollars to millions of people tells you, oh no, they really are not playing their games that often. They spent two thousand dollars to drag race on internet forums. Yeah. <laughs> and and then uh, and then I think they had uh, like neon lights sort of like on their computers. It's like oh boy. Yeah, look, I, I made my desktop look pretty cool. My favorite color is red, so it's like made out of like a red steel. But I have not put LEDs all over it. So. I think I need to go pretty soon, but the last thing I want to talk about is we've talked about Zen 3 and like what might come next. Like what kind of innovations will you, you I don't know. It sounds like you do want things to just be stable, but are there any big innovations coming to servers you're excited for? Like, I mean, Intel keeps talking about 3DX point, for instance, and stuff like Whatever. that. <laughs> um, actually, it's coming from AMD, believe it or not. And that's why because of the security vulnerabilities and the fact that I can get more cores, more threads. And more importantly is that my applications are now more multi-threaded and more horizontal in nature versus 15 years ago, where it's more, uh, more vertical in nature. It's easier to make the switch. Even that I'm still going to uh, take my time and, and work it through. I might have to get a Epic uh, Rome server sooner simply because 
my intel sort of utterly collapsed. And even I mean, I even as 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 hard as I try to to bridge that server, I may not even be able to. And if I take one more, this one more uh, hit, I probably will have to buy a server right away just to, and right away means within six months. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and I have contingency, and I have, to, and I develop contingency planning already for that. So I have shopping carts, everything, you know, list of server <laughs> components, everything already lined up, ready to go. It's just, and I'm also preparing the server. If I have to do a quick migration, I can do that. But this is part of the things you got to deal with. You know, you got to kind of plan ahead. Everything got to be planned ahead. So, uh, but unfortunately, Intel's forcing my hand. So. Uh, and that's how bad things are. For yeah, it, it's, and people, it's going to be like I really think it's like um like falling off a cliff. People keep thinking that AMD will gradually do this or gradually do that. No, I think it's going to look like AMD is taking nothing, and then out of nowhere they gain a ton of contracts. Yeah, that's that's just that's it's how a tipping it's going to happen. It'll, it'll happen like that. Um, and I suspect it'll be around three and four. Yeah, and I guess in three they're looking at adding uh, four-way SMT. Is that something that you guys have like? Is that something that would be beneficial for your server? Well, is it yes? When I um, again, I don't like to comment on, I, I don't like to trust on specs until I hear from the company themselves. Sure. Uh, I never, I never do any planning based on rumors and like, it, it, that's just not. Right. Not, I'm not asking. I'm just asking though, would that benefit you? Like that type of, uh, it, that's a big deal. Cause then you can put more, you can actually run, get more throughput through the server. Um, and, uh, and if it doesn't cost that much power all for it, um, to me, the biggest one I'm waiting on is the Epic Frontier CPU. Uh, this actually confirmed by Force Norad uh, that uh, they're going to have a CPU with GPUs built onto the die. If they can get that CPU, get that thing, keep that thing under 300 watts, that is an absolute... Yeah, there's been a lot of rumors for years about, they call it like a mega APU, like a 300 watt socket APU that... And that's could... a bargain. Even at the, and that's probably gonna be AMD's first five-figure chip. But I'll tell you one thing: when I spec that, if if they keep that on uh, within you know the low five-figure range, uh, when I spec out with current technologies, it's actually about 30% cheaper to go with the more expensive chip. Because mm-hmm. it's so much more efficient. Also, you the, the platform's a lot simpler too. Yeah. Yeah, one, that one socket. That's it. They have the cooling. You don't have to worry about the cooling as much. You know, if you have uh, a server that you have two sockets and you got to load up GPUs in there, I mean, now you're cooling. Most of the cost of that server is going to be, in terms of the platform, is going to be the cooling. Well, yeah, and I think that's what all of this stuff is. What they're planning to do, with if not three, then four. Just within a year and a half, I I do believe AMD's plans seem to be just we've done all of these other things. Now we can really make the ultimate server chip. We're ready. We have chiplets. We have iodized. We have the ability to. By then, the software is ready. Yeah, and by then it's ready too. They've had two years to prepare so that right when they get right, so Zen two is twice as good, and then Zen three comes. Zen 3, again, for server, seems to me significantly, significantly a bigger deal than yeah. Zen 2 for all of these reasons. And, I mean, and, and that's when they'll be able to stack uh, memory on it as well. Um, there's really no limits, right, to what they can put in there. Just space. It comes down to uh, what the numbers are. 
you know, when we when we spec out equipment, it comes down to numbers. Remember, they're all just tools. Like even your gaming PCs, they're just tools. Yeah, they're tools hopefully. for fun, but they're still tools. But so I guess the last thing I'll add then. So what do you see? I don't know uh, how much you want to talk about it. Like coming from Intel, because do they have? I mean, they're working on graphics cards. I I don't know, though. I don't know if they are working on some type of hyper APU, like what AMD is doing. They certainly probably could. I don't know they're if it would much, be. Though. If they are, they're probably further behind. Um, yeah. Now, the thing is that I don't ha- I don't have a problem buying Intel products. It's just that. No, me neither. It's just that at this point, I disqualify Intel from server chips. That's it. But I don't mind buying other stuff. You know, if Intel comes out with a great graphics card that actually is makes the num is is better on the numbers sure why not you know doesn't bother me um the most important thing is that any type of platform i invest in i always have to have an exit strategy and that's something you got to think about any kind of product and that's not just computers especially in computers but it's anything in life is make sure you have an exit strategy make sure you can get out make sure you have an out and you mean to switch over from Intel if you absolutely have to? Yeah, or or you know, in the case of computers, like, no. and I see nothing. I, I except they keep bringing it up again. I'll say it one more time: three, or is it thirty? Three D crosspoint, like what it's, if? um, you know, I, which sounded cool when they first talked about it until it turned out to be not half as good as, not not a tenth as good as they said it was going to be. I don't, I don't care. You got to have product to show me because I'm not going to make plans on it. it this is what we call it's called fud it's called fear uncertainty doubt that's what they're trying to do i i've seen this before with microsoft back in the os wars from the from the early 2000s between linux and windows i, I this i've seen this a million times it, i don't care mm. well that is and that's where one more time i'll say it just seems like the very top of intel's leadership is still asleep at the wheel that they don't understand how bad this could get if they continue to just. I mean, to, I mean, again, I, if you if you look at it on paper, their response to AMD has been basically nothing. Yes, that that that, that I can say that's true. Um, it's actually quite shockingly amateurish for someone mm-hmm. who uh, is in the enterprise space and used to ha- handling these companies on a professional level. It's a very shockingly unprofessional reaction. Right. On top of that, uh, what I suspect AMD could do, and this is actually my only my thought, is uh, they could perfect the uh, chiplet architecture so much so that they can actually create kind of like a McDonald's menu and yes. to enterprises and says, hey, which w- what do you want on your Epic chips on your Epic package? You want this chiplet, that chiplet, whatever chiplets you want, ASICs, you want you could have arms and x86 on one package and and then to basically build customized chip on an on assembly line sort of like how the auto uh, auto manufacturers do it with automobiles right you go online and it's like well our company wants socket we have this many sockets and we want them to have this and then they could like you say build the hamburger they want yeah it's not going to happen because you have to retool the entire supply chain for that. That's about 15 to 20 years. But if AMD does that, that it's just basically game over, no matter what they're competing. Intel, if I see if I see signs of that, that's when I sense Intel's in really in trouble at that point. Because now they're going to be boxed out of that market, 
And not to mention that, again, vertical applications, that's the old style application that Intel is traditionally good at. When you have an energy crisis, it's going to make those applications too expensive to run. And then not to mention that in a currency crisis, it's going to reduce the cost of labor. So your switching cost gets cheaper, but your energy cost gets higher. And so what are you going to do? You're going to go to horizontal scaling applications. Yeah, that's probably what the big war is going to end up being. It's something me and him also talked about is that um, it's see, I, I kind of painted it. I think it's a, a race to see which company can get to that hyper scheduling, combining threads thing first. Because I do think AMD is working on that as well. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it is just that Intel will figure out their own version of chiplets to a certain extent, and then they'll have a hyperscheduler. But then AMD's argument will be, well, yeah, but we can build this custom chip and 3D stack it with 10 different dies. What do you want in your, you know, like you say, what do you want on from the menu? No, we, we don't have this scheduling thing, but we can make something even more custom and more efficient than they ever could anyways. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh and it's going to come down to energy efficiency is going to become the primary driver going mm -hmm. forward. That's where ARM is going to make uh, make their pushes really in that, but not until we have an energy crisis, not until we have a currency crisis. Yeah, and that's going to be, and that's why I just, I like my video that's coming out tomorrow. It's just, it's again, gaming focused, but it's like where I'm basically just saying, I think, I think everyone needs to buckle up because the stuff I'm hearing all of these companies work on is pretty fantastical compared to what we have been used to for the past 10 years. I mean, past 10 years, it's like, here's more cores. They're faster. That's for sure. Um, and I'm in the midst of it with the, with the, in terms of application developments, all the enterprises, they're starting to go into containerized applications. That's horizontally scaling. I'm seeing that. And I'm actually retooling my skills for that too, because that's where the growth is going to be at. I mean, I've worked 20 years in traditional type of IT, but I'm getting to more cloud technologies. Uh, that's where AMD is definitely excels in that area, and not to mention that they have better security. At least, uh, they have better security than Intel uh, in terms of a track record. Because uh, mm -hmm. I'm finding out that from the from my uh, fellow uh, professionals that uh, the uh, security professionals are actually having a very having a difficult time. It's not impossible, but they're having a hard time cracking through AMD stuff much it's 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 a harder slog for them which is a good thing all right well i definitely enjoyed this conversation me quite too a bit. it's uh, it's uh uh you do great work um hey um anytime you want to ask about enterprise stuff related stuff you can always uh let me know on it I, I definitely will, and that's good because I mostly just get stuff from gaming people. So, uh, F, like this is well, a get gaming for me. <laughs> I know, I know, I and I apologize that you had to suffer through, but most of my viewers think of computers as gaming devices, so I had to use gaming examples. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, eventually, I think there's gonna be a gold bug Bitcoin podcast with you too, but that will be currency crisis one but that would probably just go into the other channel not to this yeah, one yeah yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do it on the other channel yeah don't don't do it here this is a tech yeah. channel okay all right well you enjoy the rest of your saturday um we'll talk again will do thank you for thank you for having me yeah, thank you Bye. broken silicon a pc hardware and gaming podcast is brought to you by me tom of moore's laws dead 
and also co-hosted by my brother, Dan. Please visit Moore's Law is Dead at YouTube to see much more in-depth analysis of AMD, Intel, and NVIDIA products and rumors. Also, if you love this podcast, please subscribe and consider giving me a review on your distributor of choice. It really does help. And if you really like this and my other content, please consider supporting me on Patreon at Moore's Law is Dead. Unlocked or higher supporters get to submit questions and have in-depth discussions with me after videos and podcasts. Plus, there are a lot of intelligent people on the included Discord channel that are having some pretty enlightening hardware discussions right now. I bet they wish you could join them. In fact, I will now give thanks to my Netburst or higher supporters immediately because I could not afford to dedicate the time or resources necessary to providing this content you like without these supporters. And so, without further ado, well, actually let me say this. This is not a stitched together edit of every name that I have recorded recently. Every week, I say the same thank yous to all the names on my list again, because I want to remember all the people making this possible. The following supporters are at the net burst 10 gigahertz or higher level. Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Ruckus, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, Tomas Paraj, Jesse Blanton, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Victor Janecki, Matthew Brubacher, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Calm Marco, Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Reniger, Kulin Lau, Daniel Cash, Night Rogue 77, Mechanical Philosopher, Michael Costa, Bollocks, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, and Christoph Novak. Thanks to all of you. And again, thanks to Sahara for this great music.